Hey guys, Alana here. Last time, you got a taste of this discussion about artificial intelligence and specifically sentencing algorithms and how this idea isn't limited to science fiction. And in today's episode, we're going to get into the thick of it and we're going to talk about the case that would have been. It all starts with this guy named Eric Loomis. In 2013, Eric Loomis was arrested based on the fact that he was driving a car that was believed to be involved in a shooting. And he was given six years. Three years into the sentence, though, Loomis applies for parole, which isn't uncommon. But what Loomis didn't know was that his appeal for parole was denied by the use of an algorithm. And not just any algorithm. An algorithm called Compass. You see, the Wisconsin state legislator was starting a new project where they were going to use this algorithm as a statewide automated risk and needs assessment. At least, that's how it's described on paper. Basically, what this algorithm hoped to do was take information about you, so your socioeconomic status or any prior arrests that you may have had, and predict the probability of future criminality. This algorithm would predict the probability of Loomis committing another crime in the future. And specifically, this algorithm was used in part of the sentencing process of Loomis's case to evaluate whether or not he would be a high risk to the community. The issue that would have been brought to the Supreme Court this fall uh, would be that the algorithm was kept secret. Compass was an algorithm that was privately owned by this tech company called North Point. And because of that, the developers had intellectual property rights over the algorithm and viewed it as a kind of trade secret. The methodology used to produce the assessment, so the specific lines of code in the algorithm, couldn't be disclosed to either the court or the defendant. Basically, Loomis didn't know that the algorithm was being used against him, or that there was even an algorithm at all. But there is another issue at hand here, one that probably wouldn't have been discussed in Washington had the justices decided to hear the case. And that's the fact that we're using artificial intelligence to predict crimes that haven't happened yet. And it's this possibility that artificial intelligence and criminal sentencing algorithms as a subset of that become fully integrated into the legal system. So, why do we feel the need to use artificial intelligence in this way, and especially within the context of the legal system? I guess the question that I'm asking is, what's the appeal? And what was wrong with the human system before it? Here we go. Here we go. I just have like four or five questions. Okay. So, um, could you state your name and yeah, Ron Gottlieb. I'm an assistant public defender. This is Mr. Ron Gottlieb, who is an assistant public defender at the Maryland Public Defender's Office. Another fun fact about Mr. Gottlieb is that he's been both my mentor and my boss for the last three years. Because Ron is an attorney, and more importantly, a public defender, he works within the kind of system that algorithms like Compass hope to treat. And because of that, he was the first person I wanted to go to. Okay. Um, so we talked about the Loomis case earlier, the way we're kind of going towards using artificial intelligence as a remedy for human errors, kind of. That's the direction we're going in. Um, not a remedy, a predictor? A predictor. Okay. A predictor. Um, so I was wanting to ask you, how does human bias kind of come into your role as a defense attorney and especially as a public defender. So how do you um, 
interact with bias? How do you see it? Well, first of all, off the top of my head, I assume that all people are biased to some degree, whether on purpose or not. Mm. So I have to deal with it when I first get a case is, was there bias in the arrest or the witnesses? Their, there's their perceptions, police officers' reactions. That's not so much my concern, but once I get it, especially in picking a jury, when we have voir dire and jury selection, you know, one of the things we try and do is, and there is a question the judges will ask the jury, can you decide this case based uh, not on race, color, creed, emotion, or bias? I found it pretty, it's pretty interesting because I don't think that jurors are honest when they answer that question to a judge. I can't really conceive people saying to the judge, no, I can be fair, I'm not biased if they are. They just will not, it's, it's pretty hard for me to imagine people saying I'm biased. And they do that. Well, unless so, they want to get out of jury duty. Say, it's pretty apparent when they want to get out of jury duty or if they answer that question because they had a personal previous experience, um. like a prior robbery victim from last month says, I don't think I could sit on another robbery. I'd be too involved because of my personal experience. So they will disclose in those cases. So, but otherwise we're trying to weed out bias from the, you know, the selection of the jury. So I guess when you come into that role as a public defender and you see that people are generally pretty biased, even before they like step into the courtroom, how, how do you deal with that? Like knowing that there is this kind of pervasive subconscious bias, like well, especially with jury selection, is there is there some tools you employ to ch- kind of counteract that bias? Questions to the jury, but but just so you understand, yeah, bias works both ways. I nobody is trying to keep unbiased people off the jury. Right. Everybody wants people biased towards their side. My bias, I'm lucky, and uh, if I can, settle for people that are biased towards the concept of a fair trial. (laughs) Not a lot of people are biased towards people accused of crimes, but I'm trying to get people that are at least not biased against them, or at least biased to the the concept of a fair trial. Right. You're trying to, everybody wants people that are biased towards them. It's just hard to ferret out. After talking to Mr. Gottlieb, this is what I got from the conversation. There is bias at every single level in the judicial system. From the lawyer you get, whether it's one that you've paid for or one that's been appointed for you, to the judge that you get. Because we have to remember that judges are people, and every person is different from the next based on our individual set of experiences. And these experiences ultimately guide the way that we perceive and make decisions about people. This is why a ruling from a judge in Maryland could potentially be very different from a judge in Alabama, or even just another judge in Maryland. And then we have this idea of a jury trial. The fact that nine to 12 perfect strangers, people that you've never met or people that you've never spoken to, can make life and death decisions about you based on split second impressions. And as Mr. Gottlieb pointed out, bias goes both ways. And it's almost worrying because it's not like bias comes from one side. Bias can come from both sides and in fact it does. 
But I guess the problem that I have with that is, are we just supposed to fair it out? I mean, bias against bias. Or is there some kind of solution out there? Is there some way that artificial intelligence could actually help mediate that bias or even resolve it? That's where my friend Peter comes in. I okay. feel very uh, official now. You are official. <laughs> Great. A little bit about Peter is that he's this kind of self-proclaimed robot aficionado. Basically, he's really into robots. Peter's a year older than me, and he just graduated from our high school and is heading off to Stanford University to study some variation of computer science or math. And with Peter's help, our school's robotics team has placed in countless regional and national competitions. Let me repeat, Peter is really into robots. In addition to robotics, I've learned from conversations with him that Peter's really interested in this idea of artificial intelligence and what it could mean for our society. And so I wanted to sit down with him to ask him about the merits of artificial intelligence and specifically the possible merits of using sentencing algorithms. As a side note, what was supposed to be a brief 10 to 15 minute interview turned into about four hours of talking about artificial intelligence, life after high school. Um, but fortunately for you, I will spare you most of the details and give you the highlights of what we talked about. So without further ado, here is that interview. All right. Um... So we spoke earlier about like this case, and I think we spoke like a couple weeks ago about it. Yeah, like, yeah. so you told me just a little bit about artificial intelligence just now, and like how it works, and what are some benefits of it. Mm. So could you could you speak a little bit about like the benefits of artificial intelligence in the legal system, like especially mm. someone coming from a background in like robotics and all that. So. Also someone who just finished up a college application process and have, has read way too many articles during that about this. Um, it's really well known that human bias varies based on environmental conditions from admission, some, a similar behavior, relation, ah, behavior of admissions officers and judges as being more lenient right after eating lunch and usually more stringent and more cranky in a way right before lunch. Um, usually, artificial intelligence has the ability to be, remove some of those environmental biases. There are, of course, trade-offs because of that, but oftentimes removing the human factor at least makes things a little bit more controllable and systematic, which oftentimes is, can be a goal in justice and a legal system, um, is to not necessarily be perfectly fair to everyone, but to be as fair as possible and to be working towards improving that. Yeah. And definitely due to the ability to iterate artificial intelligence and machine learning applications and systems quickly, you can make required changes and test different things on case data. You can compare how judges or cases that people have approved of the results or said that results are appropriate or however legal scholars or anyone analyzing the system wants to view the process. You can try different algorithms, different approaches, um, different parameters on how algorithms are trained and designed yeah. to see how they compare and to find something that is able to get to the core of the intent of the justice and legal system without necessarily having all those same biases. Yeah. So as it turns out, there are actually a lot of benefits to using artificial intelligence. 
I mean, it's faster for one thing, and it can consult way more case law than a judge could at any particular moment. But the greatest advantage to using artificial intelligence, at least one that I've heard, is that artificial intelligence eliminates environmental biases, or at least it hopes to. It's this idea that a judge's opinions could be subject to change before and after lunch. And as far as we know, computerized algorithms don't change in that way. To be honest, after hearing all of this, the possibility of using artificial intelligence in this context doesn't sound so bad. If artificial intelligence is as good as tech experts are making it out to be, it doesn't sound like that bad of a solution for our legal system. One that, as described earlier, has been constantly compromised, you know, in this continuous series of human failings. But there's a catch. And it's a problem that I've been having with this entire argument. If artificial intelligence and criminal sentencing algorithms are so good, what's the holdup? And why haven't we already been using them? If there is this documented phenomenon of bias in the human judicial system, and artificial intelligence could mediate that bias, why is there this pause? Want to know what I think? My guess is that something's not quite right with this setup. What if there's something underneath the surface that isn't right about using artificial intelligence and our desire to use it in this way? I think we owe it to both ourselves and to people like Eric Loomis to find out what exactly that could be.